it's like once you free yourself up that's when you find yourself you know it's like that's all it is it's just it, it's it's just about approaching things in the right way and getting something out of it and and making sure that you're you always have to check that you're happy that you're doing things for the right reason Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. Recently, I had the chance to talk to the incredible Sacred Monolith. Sacred Monolith is an artist and illustrator from the UK who creates esoteric images that evoke a sense of mystery and intrigue. We had an extremely great, lengthy conversation, and this is the first part of three. I really enjoyed this interesting conversation, and I really, really hope you enjoy it too. Okay, so um, as an introduction, it's the best place to start, which I always kind of talk to everybody about. So the first question really, or the best place to start, is uh, just to, for you to tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. So I have always, as far as I can remember, been somebody that does art, painting, drawing, whatever it may be, sculpting, making things, super creative, and that's... That's just my natural instinct, I suppose, maybe because my mum was an art teacher and she raised me to be like that. But I, I have to say, honestly, that I can remember being in primary school and all of the teachers were talking as though it was a done deal that that's what I was going to be, you know. So it was almost just always been the case to the point where I sometimes think oh maybe I should just do something else to kind of like rebel because I feel like it's almost been, it almost feels like I've been put on this path it's just what I've always done honestly so I can't really think of a time when I decided to start if that if that makes sense yeah no, that does make sense and that's that's quite nice though because then you already had that validation early on so that you didn't have to kind of necessarily discover it yourself in the same mm. way as a lot of other people do True. well i never attached any status to it i didn't think it was a cool thing to do i didn't think that it was like i know that people think that like calling themselves an artist means something in terms of some people think that that has a certain you know the connotations attached to it or it has some status i don't really care i just see it as like you know i could be saying anything any, title of a job um and somebody might choose to look at what i do and say that isn't art and then i'd just be like that's fine whatever the word is that you call it that's okay <laughs> it's just what i do so so that's what i do and it's not really um something so yeah so when it comes to sort of like validation i don't know I mean, there was a time when I was young, young, maybe when I was a teenager, where I felt like I really wanted to be, to, to be validated by someone else. But that's not really where I'm coming from at all. Honestly, if everyone hated it, then I would just be doing it to, because it's what I do, if that makes sense. Maybe it's just an instinct or it's like a thera therapeutic. Like, like, absolutely. And actually, as I said to you a minute ago about order being out of order um this is where it's a perfect example because one of the questions i was going to ask you at the end <laughs> which i'm going to ask you now which is perfect is um yeah if nobody saw your work would you still create it um, i think that's an important question to ask artists because you know that's a really interesting you know, question 
because I don't know. I don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, that it seems like it's the same thing, but it's as what we were just talking about, but there is, there's a subtle difference. And so where, where I used to do um, work so intensely all the time, really, really productive. And then when I decided that I just didn't like, I felt like it had become a toxic thing for me where, where I was not enjoying the pressure that people were putting me under and it wasn't pleasant for me and I just wanted to stop. Um, when I did that, I shut down all of my social media and things like that and there was no place for me to show work to anyone. I'd kind of cut all ties and then I stopped doing it. I stopped doing it. It wasn't like I carried on doing drawing for myself at home you know I just stopped making work completely because because it there was no place for me to send to send the work at the end so I actually don't think I would keep doing it if there was no one to show it to it's a form of communication so it'd be kind of like speaking to yourself you feel like you're going mad you know so that's a really interesting answer because that's a completely different answer to anybody else I've asked so oh really um, so, yeah, that's actually really interesting. It's a really interesting way to look at it in terms of art as a form of communication. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because it's very true. For sure. The process of doing yeah. the work is therapy, but the actual, you know, you know, it's therapy. For example, it's therapy. Okay, so what is therapy? Therapy is where you sit in a room and, you know, a lot of the time, like a, a traditional therapist situation, you sit in a room and you talk to someone. If you if there wasn't another person sitting there, you'd be talking to yourself. Is is that you know, even if even if a therapist doesn't say anything, for you to see that they're there and they're giving you time and they're listening to you, that's why people pay for therapy. You know, and um if that if that person wasn't there, you just wouldn't feel like you were exercising anything. You just feel like you're saying things to yourself. I don't know, it just doesn't seem to to work for me like I do definitely think that humans are social creatures and there's an entire realm of where we interact that is very interesting and that's very important <clears throat> and I do feel like if you take that away then you get into the territory of you know the objective value of what you create um, so I this might sound like a massive tangent, but have you ever um, ha have you ever heard of a guy called uh, Yuval Noah Harari? He's an author. He wrote a book called Sapiens. No, I haven't, but I've heard of the book. So yeah, it's a really good book. I, I highly recommend that. It's a brilliant book. Um, but down. one of the things that he talks about in whether it's in Sapiens or whether it's in one of his other books. But he talks about, for example, he talks about money, right? And this is such, this is this is where every now and then you come across an, a concept that you've just never heard of before, and it kind of just changes the way the way you look at things. That's one of the reasons I recommend him as an author because he's full of things like that. And yeah. he talks about money, and he says that you have most people are familiar with the idea of the objective and the subjective, right? So you've got 
the objective value of a five pound note is that it's a piece of paper. So you could say, you know, if you need a piece of paper to, you know, use as a coaster or something, that's his objective value, right? <laughs> so then the subjective value of it is like, it's anything that you imagine it to be. So that would be like, if you decided you're going to be like a super imaginative, like a little kid, you could say this is an aeroplane and fold it into a paper aeroplane, or you could imagine that it's a, you know, like a car and play with it like a toy car. You can do whatever you want with it. So the realm of the subjective is like endless. But in actual fact, nobody treats money as in the objective sense or the subjective sense. There's everyone treats money in a far more unique way. And this is the thing that Yuval Noah Harari talked about, which was a new concept for me, just the idea of the, the intersubjective realm. So that's the realm of the things that they carry a value because everybody decides it does. So only, only money only has the value that everybody decides it has. Right. So like a five pound note is worth five pounds because everybody has decided that it's worth five pounds and five pounds is an idea. But it has real life objective value because it will get you five pounds worth of things that, you know, of let's say food to eat. Um, but they, that can go a long way because obviously money can get you anything, it can get you a big house or not anything, but it can get you materialist materially. It can get you a hell of a lot. So the world of the intersubjective is like where society, no one person can control it. Like a million people between, with, with all of their different toing and throwing and pushing and pulling, create the value of something in that, that it's just kind of in flux between everybody's imagination. And no one person could turn up and say, I've decided five pounds is is actually worth a thousand pounds everyone would just be like no that we're not allowing that but no one else could come you know equally you couldn't come along and say five pounds is now only worth what it you know it's just a piece of paper it no longer has any value because if no one person can control it it's this kind of big kind of imaginary realm that everybody has a stake in so you know you need everyone to agree that it's worth more or less for it to be worth more or less and that that's the kind of realm of, of art, in my opinion. You're dealing with imag people's imaginations en masse. You're dealing with like a whole society of people and they could, they could decide that what you're doing is abhorrent and disgusting and you should go to jail. Or they could decide that what you're doing is incredible and amazing. You should be revered and there should be statues of you outside or whatever, or you could be somewhere in the middle. And, um, you know, you can't control it, but without that it's a lot less interesting because you you're left with you know either the if if you if you're in isolation of the rest of humanity then what you make is either completely subjective you can imagine it to be whatever you want in which case go at it you could do whatever you want or it's completely objective in which case it's like totally you just you make something and its value is whatever it does for you, you know, as an object. So, yeah, I can't really see myself making the kind of work that I do, like in a, in a vacuum <clears throat> at all. I don't really see how it would 
that's where all the interesting stuff is. It's where people's reactions, you know, Does that makes sense. Yes, oh, absolutely. And I say that again, that brings me on to another question I was going to ask you much, much later, but I'll ask you it now because uh, now's the more appropriate time, I guess. Okay. Um, but there is a quote from a sculptor called um, Brian Booth Craig. I just looked at his name the other day. Brian Booth Craig. Um, and in a podcast, he said that a piece of art is not finished until the viewer sees it. Um, do you agree mm -hmm. with this? And what are your thoughts on that kind of idea? Um, I mean, I I think that the concept behind that statement is interesting, let's say. So I find that interesting. That's the that is the realm of what I find interesting right there. It's is that that's a similar thing to, to what I was just talking about, the whole sort of intersubjective thing. So in that sense, I'm with it completely, but I think that you know, when you're making kind of short, sharp, concise statements, you know, you have to be a little bit economical with words. And so maybe I don't necessarily agree with the way that is worded is not, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't strike me as being entirely correct. If that makes sense. <laughs> but I said, that, but I say, that might be the way I, that might be the way I paraphrased it as opposed to, it might be a direct quote. Might be the way I paraphrased okay. it. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, even so, I, you know, broadly speaking, the, the concept is, it's definitely, I, I would say that it's, it's, it's the right, along the right lines. And that's how people, it's, it's, that's the important thing for people to appreciate, I think, when it comes to, to art. Yeah, I do think this. It's, it's, it, yeah, I, I agree. I guess, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Okay, so let's go rewind a little bit. Okay. So let's go rewind. Let's rewind a little bit because um, I want to get uh, a good sense of yourself because um, I'm super intrigued just by you generally okay. um, from both your work and also because you have an alias. So right, um, right. where did the name Sacred Monolith come from? Yeah, so that's from um, one of the things which has changed from where I so do, doing art was just always a thing that I did and it was just very natural and I presented myself to the world as myself and yeah. everyone around me at the time when I was supposed when I first started to, to sell work and get my name out was doing uh, street art at the time it was around the time of you know when Banksy got really big and you have all of the kind of artists that came along so you know you've got people like yeah. deface and uh black yeah. the rat yeah. there's just like loads of these you know swoon all of these like huge street artists and um it was all about having an alias and at the time i res respected all of my friends that were involved in that scene not to say that those people I named were my group of friends, those are like the big names, but um, that I, re I respected my friends within that scene, um, but I kind of fancied myself as being, you know, not part of it. I was like proud that I was just from the classic tradition of just someone that does art and that's, they present themselves as, uh, as who they are and that's that. And there's obviously a, very very logical reason why street artists use a 
pseudonym um, because it's illegal. Um, but one of the things that I did when I took a hiatus from art was I worked um, I worked in branding uh, as a graphic designer because that was just a really easy way of transferring my skills into a you know a sort of se secure kind of career. So working as a graphic designer, doing branding for companies, and um, I learned a lot about how to think about branding and how to present yourself. And when I'd look back at some of the things that I had put, put out there in the past, some of them I was like, yeah, I nailed it. And then, and then some of them I was like, you know, oh my God, I hate the way I did this. I hate the way I presented this. I could have done such a better job. And I started to realize that even though I was using my name, it's still a brand. And I most definitely was, was, fundamentally making a brand in, which encapsulated all of my work as a way of presenting myself. And that might sound like a weird thing to say, but it's definitely the case. Now, that's, it doesn't matter who the artist is. Uh, you could be talking about Leonardo da Vinci, you know, and it may be the case that he's, you know, an absolutely genius, uh, you know, great, one of the great minds of, of of humanity and an absolute innovator and all of the things that he was but it is also unfortunately still a brand and his name obviously okay. has connotations um that are very very positive i think that uh, any brand nowadays would would love to be able to have the kind of power that his name's got even the hundreds of you know, 500 years after his death and um that's that's the bottom line so that's one really cold clinical way of looking at this is that i was looking back at my work and going you know what did i do a good job of branding myself because i was just being very natural and just being me but at the same time what where could i have improved it on where could i have not improved it at the same time i i absolutely hated and one of the things that made me decide that i wanted to stop doing it, I hated some of the uh, attention uh, that I got from people um, when I had work that I, that I did work at the time that I was surprised by how popular it was because I just used to do what I did and put it out there. And then there are certain things that I did that got sort of millions of hits and millions of views whatever online <clears throat> and I remember absolutely hating that um, and I never really thought that that would happen and it was tra like traumatic to be honest so I was like just minding my business and doing what I do and then suddenly one day I have like I don't know 5,000 emails and I'm like there must be something wrong with my inbox you know, and then something's gone viral online and I'm getting like a million hits. And I hate, hated it, absolutely hated it. And I felt horrible for like about a week. And then it kind of adjusted everything. Like it put, it burst my little bubble of my ego because it's just, it's part of, it's a part of human nature. You know how somebody 
goes to to a restaurant that has 10 great experiences, then they have one horrible experience. And they just remember the horrible experience. So you'll see like 50 people saying really, really positive, really nice things. And then one person says something really dickish, something really, really like offensive or whatever. And then you just, you just go, oh, like, oh, I wish I didn't read that. And, the, yeah. and, and, and those things just scale up. So if you show your work to... I don't know, a thousand people, you might get one person that's kind of a bit of an asshole. And then you're like, oh, that one person's kind of annoyed me. Then, okay, so then 10,000, you get 10 people that are a bit of an asshole. And then when it gets up to like a million, that's too much dickishness to, for one person to take in if you're affected by it. No one's like trained me to be able to deal with it. It's just like, fuck, I hate this. Um, so I realized that I wasn't, my goal wasn't necessarily to be successful per se, because I realized that this is not in any way what I wanted. I just want to be able to do art and to, for it to be therapeutic for me. And that was not therapeutic at all. That was like pressure, a pressurized situation. It was an unpleasant situation. And, um, you know, it's not what I'm about. So that's one of the things that made me decide to stop um so i'd always said to myself you know if i ever decide to come back to doing it it would have to be under a pseudonym and actually i was the fool all along because my friends had the right idea you know so that was kind of that was kind of like my little lesson that i'd learned and then maybe i don't know five years into doing other things i started to feel like I really, really feel like there's something missing from my life right now. And, you know, I'm wondering what it is. And it had always kind of bugged me, sort of, that I had just kind of dropped something that was really special. Um, and there was, there was a lot about that that meant so much to me. There was... A, 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 another trauma in a way for me to kind of cut it was like cutting off a limb like just cutting this whole thing dead it was a really weird thing for me to do so I um I thought you know it had been in, in my mind that I do want to to do art again and then when the lockdowns happened and everything just kind of changed I suddenly realized okay I'm not commuting to my job and I'm not going out in the evening. I'm now at home a lot. And how do I make this small flat in London feel a whole lot bigger? I think I need to start drawing again. So then I started, but then I decided to try and use my branding experience. And I thought to myself, you know, let's think about this. What is it that I want to do? What am I trying to do? I don't want anything that I do to feel arbitrary or like it's there for no reason. I don't want to use some pseudonym that's just like, it just sounded cool and it's just, you know, like a, some vacuous thing. What what can I, you know, for me, the good, good branding is always something that kind of ties in and adds to and enriches the, 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 the content of whatever you're creating. Or, or products that companies make or whatever it may be so sort of I started applying that kind of thinking and I thought well you know there needs to be a lot going on here for this to make sense it needs to not be just like one thing 
And so I thought, okay, well, let's start with what's the type of work that I want to do. I've always wanted to do, and it's always been a, uh, a key thing for me. I've always wanted to do work that's kind of dark and weird, but beautiful at the same time. So I want it to be, I want to be able to surprise people with beautiful and fragile moments, but I want to also kind of like maybe make people stand back a little bit when they see the weirdness of some of the work too. And so I just wanted to sort of lure people in, in a way where they kind of feel cautious, but they feel drawn in. And so that's the kind of, that's the type of emotion that I want to create. Um, and, you know, that's quite a hard thing to do because you have to make something that's sort of beautiful, but has kind of frightening elements as well. I don't know. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And um, I also definitely am interested. I wanted to have a little bit of a departure from just the sort of things that I used to do in the past. And something that I'm really passionate about and really love is um, one of the things I'm really into is uh, like sci-fi, sci science fiction. So I, I was looking there and I was thinking along those lines of like kind of dark and weird but beautiful things. And I'm totally obsessed with um, uh, certain types of electronic music, like really, really weird abstract electronic music. I love Aphex Twins, one of my favorites. I really love Square Pusher. I like Venetian Snails. I like lots of different types of music, but it's just one particular thing that I'm like really, really obsessed with. And all of these things kind of floating around. And then I thought to myself, well, okay, that monolith in, um, in 2001, A Space Odyssey, is kind of like the closest thing to a symbol that represents what I'm try trying to do because it's just something that just stands there and it's just ominous, but it's kind of like attractive and people are just drawn to it. And the way that that film, I personally lo love that film. And one of the things that I love about it is that the, the, there are questions that don't get answered, you know, like the suspense remains. And that's why the, it remains a classic movie all these years later, because the, the suspense it's still there when the movie's over. It doesn't, they don't kind of package it up for you, put a bow around it and then go, okay, it's done. They leave you hanging. So I thought, okay, that, and essentially I'm making images or sim symbols here. That's what my job is in a way. And um, that's a pretty good symbol right there. That's a kind of a symbol for what I'm trying to do. And so that's kind of where it started. And it kind of evolved from there. So, um, you know, there were lots of things that I played around with, but I suppose the I've already talked about it for long enough. So I suppose to kind of wrap that up, I kind of kind of liked the idea of the name Sacred Monolith because of you know a few reasons there, um, but more or less the ones that I mentioned that it's. I'm trying to make my work into this kind of ominous thing that people are drawn to in a way which is, it feels like that would be the goal, right? It's like, it doesn't mean to say I've achieved my goal, but it's just like, let me sit, 
let me put you know the, this let me let me at least calibrate myself towards this target and say okay that's the goal the goal is to have work that achieves this effect that's something i want to put out in the world and i want people to feel that kind of feeling towards it that it's sort of beautiful but ominous and dark and weird and it draws them in they're not sure why and so yeah i'm kind of referencing the monolith from um from 2001 a space odyssey sacred monolith that's like more into religious reference references there i'm not a religious person at all but i'm very interested in some of the ancient symbols that you find in religious stories and things like that so things like uh you know like one piece i recently did was uh, a snake kind of surrounded by apples and that's like god garden of eden symbolism it just allows me to uh expand on those those themes which are what i'm i personally really enjoy so i can just keep on doing loads of dark beautiful imagery that references you know ancient symbolism and things like that and it just i just felt like that really enhanced it so the name actually enhances it and uh, but but also i felt like it was quite well positioned because it is vague enough that it gave me room to do whatever i want really you know so li very limiting brand names um are kind of lame in a way because then you just kind of end up having to do the same thing all the time you know so i could have easily gone like oh i like drawing skulls let me do something something skulls in the name and then i'm now i'm stuck drawing skulls forever what if i decide i don't want to i want bottom line is i want to feel like i can do whatever the fuck i want to do right so if i wake up tomorrow and i decide actually i want to draw fairies you know that's what i'm going to do if if that's what i feel like i want to be i want to make sure that i don't cage myself in i don't want to make a rod for my own back so that's that's that and it's, it's it's a weird thing but it's just like once you free yourself up that's when you find yourself you know it's like that's all it is it's just it, it's it's just about i don't know it's about approaching things in the right way and and getting something out of it and and making sure that you're you always have to check that you're happy that you're doing things for the right reason and things are going the way that you want them to and that's why for me i was like deep deep into doing art and it had worked out miraculously in a way and in, in the sense of like having some what looks like success to maybe to people i was just like fuck it i don't care <laughs> i can throw this away i can throw i can throw the baby out of the bathwater if i have to you know i don't care because what i value is the feeling of feeling like a free spirit feeling like i can do what i want so that's like super interesting and um i've never met anybody who who can do that or who has done that um so i'm really fascinated i mean to be honest that's really incredible and i i think it's really fascinating it's yeah there's a lot i can say about that but i won't say that now um but yeah i, I respect that i would say that much like i respect that because i think that isn't necessarily an easy decision for anybody to make um because yeah because of the society we live in and that's something we'll definitely talk about later but that's not right now so let me continue with um this little section i have currently so um so did you study art 
And what are your thoughts on edu art education? Well, that's an interesting subject. Um, so, I, you know, as I said, my mum was an art teacher. Um, and I have to say, you know, I'm really grateful to my mum for instilling certain values or I don't know, it's almost like a little trick that she played on me when I was a kid. She, you know, it was like positive reinforcement. Yeah, she'd tell me I could do whatever I want and then I'd do some drawings and then I'm assuming that I wasn't drawing like something that really fucked up that you just don't want your kids to draw. Like <laughs> I'm assuming I wasn't drawing like people getting shot down in the streets or something. It's probably just typical kiddie drawings of like smiley faces and a little triangle. And you say, what's that triangle? You're like, oh, that's our dog or something. <laughs> it's just like, she would just tell me, yeah, she, she, she would just tell me it was brilliant. You know, every time I, I did a drawing, she'd tell me it's brilliant. And she really created this like positive cycle. And it, it like in my behave, behavioral patterns, like it's like it's something that got imprinted in my brain. And it sort of becomes part of your psyche or part of how you kind of interact with the world. And, um, you know, that is so valuable. Uh, everyone's got their own things that are valuable like that to them. So everyone's got different things that they've experienced, um, hopefully, that have been encouraged in them. Um, for me, that was art. I suppose it could have been anything. Um, and I don't know how much is nature and how much is nurture in those situations, but that, to me, is education. That's art education. So that's what I value. I mean, with all of the negative things that just like anyone that I've gone through in my life, that positive cycle that my mum had kind of created when I was a, probably a toddler or something through, you know, positive reinforcement has made its way all the way through to here when I'm in my late thirties and it's still going strong. You know, it's like this thing, which will keep going until the day I die probably. Um, and that for me is, is, is our education. The education system is a different thing altogether. And I really don't give a shit about it at all. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, when someone, it's fine, and I don't have a problem with it. And I respect everyone who is involved in this. Uh, and I respect, just like I respect my mum. I've met some, had some great art teachers but when you have a someone when someone creates a system where you set a goal and then people have to meet that goal and then they get graded on how well they met that goal, that is not the same as art. Does that make sense? So for me, yeah, for me, um, have like that's fine because people need to have a, a system of rules in order to grade people. But, it, you know, it, it is totally, totally contrary to what we know as a fact about art based on art history. So for me, art history is a more interesting, I don't say more interesting, it's all interesting to me. But art history, I am probably more um i'd be more interested in pursuing art history 
education because you're dealing with, I mean, there are still murky areas there, but you're dealing with, basically you're dealing with knowledge. I don't think when you deal with art, you're dealing with knowledge. I don't think that you are. I think that when you do art, you're, you're in the realm of expression and communication. And really no one has a right to tell you whether that's good or bad, to fail you or not. I mean, it's like if you have uh, witnesses to a murder, how many of them uh, are correct in any of their recollections of anything that happens? Everyone interprets everything differently. So who's to say that um, when someone does something which is already quite hard to put your finger on anyway, it's not like witnessing a murder. This is like someone's made a piece of abstract art. So it's, there's nothing obvious or explicit or literal that's being said. It's an abstract piece of art, let's say, for this example. So somebody makes an abstract painting and then they show it to a room of 20 people, right? And you could show someone something which is not abstract and 20 people walk away with a different idea of what they just saw. So how do you justify grading someone on that? How could you? You can't. But because the society needs to somehow Capitalist, capitalist society needs to somehow encapsulate art somehow because art is needed for the world to be interesting and for you know there's imagine the world without art obviously it's it's vital so they have to put these steps in place for people to pursue a quote unquote art education but really and truly um you know, it's a massive cliche, but as Picasso said, every child is an artist. Um, there's absolutely no way that you could, you, you can choose, you, you can cultivate your own tastes and you can, I mean, I'm certainly very discerning in what I do and don't like because I've spent a lot, spent a lot of time in my life looking at and thinking about various forms of, of, of art or artistic expression. So I might have very strong opinion of that I don't like this piece of music at all, you know, or I don't like this painting at all. But then, you know, you might show me that same painting two years later and I might tell you that I love it because I've changed my mind. So where, are, where, where does that leave us? You know, where does that leave us? It doesn't really leave us anywhere. Everyone just, the, the more free people feel, the less constrained by pressure and less conscious of what other people think of them, people are, the better it is because I personally really value true expression. And so an institution training you and grading you in something is the antithesis of an environment that would, that would encourage that. That's my personal view. So, do I, am I against art education? No, I'm totally all for it because I want more people to do art. So, you know, with all of that being said and done, I'm so grateful that art education exists. But at the same time, I personally, I would never, ever be able to give a shit about someone grading my work. I, I wouldn't be able to find it in myself to care. Like I just like it doesn't it's like that that flame isn't there. It's like it's just not there. That candle isn't burning. I don't care. So I would never, I would never ever put the effort in. That makes sense. I just wouldn't because of that whole setup. I'd just be like, meh, don't care.
So you raised a really interesting point, actually, and that is about authenticity, because I think having gone through the education system myself, I think it's a good point that you're graded on your work. And because you're graded on your work, you kind of conform to a certain set of rules or a certain set of standards. And mm -hmm. actually in the real world of art, that's not how it works out. Mm -hmm. You could do whatever the hell you want to. And no one's going to tell you whether it's good or bad. And no one's going to tell you that you should or you shouldn't do it. True. So, um, True. so as an artist, does the endless possibility of being able to create anything make it hard of you to know what to create? No, no, not for, for me. No, I understand people feeling like that, but for me, that's not the case because I have got myself on a particular track, like I'm on a particular train of thought. And it's, it's really, really easy for me to, um, I mean, limitations are really important to help you know what to do. Um, but I feel like I've got myself in a situation where the boundaries are pretty good. And there's so much for me to still do that it's like, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get the time to do all the ideas like I've got. So I'm quite happy to, honestly, I'm like just every time I kind of embark on a new piece of work, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm ticking off like something from this like enormous list that I've got in the back of my head. It would probably be speaking of like things being therapeutic, it'd be therapeutic of me to write instead of draw or paint and like write, literally write a list. <laughs> of like everything in my head and just have it out external rather than in my head it's just an endless list and it just goes on and on and on and on and i would draw something like today that was something that was floating around in my head uh a month ago um and i'm quite happy for even if ideas pop into my head i'm happy for them to be forgotten as well because I'm quite sort of Darwinistic about it. I just think to myself, the ideas that survive and make their way into a piece are the ones that were worthy. You know, only the strong survive in terms of yeah. the ideas, the concepts. So yeah, I want things to filter out. I want, if something has, if something struck me as being a great idea today, and then in a week's time, I'd forgotten it, then it can't have been that good. That's the way I see it, because I really want to do things that strike a chord with me that they, yeah, so, so there's, there's, there's no shortage of things to do. And in the, in the realm of the kind of work that I'm doing, it just goes on and on and on. And you can, and there are also um, sort of various types of good practice that I personally like to do. So there's a pragmatic aspect to it but um let's say okay so everyone says that it's really really important to always do life drawing right that's a considered to be a uh, good practice in the world of art in the traditional western kind of uh, training um you know going all the way back to like you know the renaissance and things like that and drawing you know nude ladies all the time but i don't like to have to deal with people when it comes to me wanting to get something done because i don't like to have any barriers so i personally like to sort of break down 
well, why is that important? Why is it important to draw, do life drawing? It's because natural forms are, in my personal view, they're the most interesting and they're the most they're the most compelling things to 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 capture. I, I'm not big on that's just me personally, but I'm not big. I, I do a little bit of it, but I'm not big on drawing like man-made ob objects. I'm more into natural things and people with their asymmetry and their unusual faces and unusual body shapes. That's where interest, the interest lies. You know, that's why it's, again, it's just my personal opinion, but that's why it's super boring when you see some like super model person who's on the front of every magazine. But when you look at a Lucian Freud painting or someone, it's really interesting because it's, the asymmetry at the kind of folds in the fat and the mus the muscles, the way they go around, the, you know, the limbs moving around and the contortions in the body shapes and things like that. It's really, really interesting and beautiful. But people are sometimes difficult to organise and I don't like to have to deal with that. So I personally love to draw flowers because it's easy access and it has everything that, in my opinion, that life drawing has. It has all of the same qualities to it. It's a natural, naturally formed thing. It's uh, endlessly interesting and beautiful to look at. You can study it in terms of colour. You can study it in terms of shape. You can approach it in any way you want. There are millions of different types of flowers out there. It's not hard to get hold of one. So... I like to always keep my skills up and I like to practice. And it it also means that I've always got something to keep me busy if I was to run out of ideas anyway, because I would be in a perfect world, I would go out and pick a flower and draw it at least once a week, you know, which I don't do because I'm too engrossed in trying to get my ideas out of my head. Um, but that would be, in, a, in an ideal world, I'd have a few less ideas and I'd have a little bit more time to do that, you know, because I just want to keep that thread going through my work forever where I've con I'm constantly returning to the basics of, you know, a piece of paper, whatever it is you're using, whether it's charcoal or a pen or a pencil, and a flower in front of you, and then you just draw it. <clears throat> So yeah, that's that's kind of the pragmatic side of it too. So I don't think that you even need to have ideas necessarily. You just need to be, um, you know, you just need to work, and keep working, keep drawing, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So the next question I have for you then mm -hmm. um, is: so what is the most challenging part of being an artist? Um, probably make money from it. That's that's what I would say, because there has to be a practical kind of logistical side to anything that you do. I mean, doing art is, um, you know, it's all well and good that you're, if you're doing art, you're, you know, you're able to indulge in things that maybe someone who has a different job can't and you're able to spend your time expressing ideas or you know 
it might or it might be a huge technical challenge that you just love to try and make something work and that's a lot of time but the the practical reality is that you have to be able to you know time is is expensive right so yeah um you have to be able to afford to spend that time um on that project or that idea and it's not um time is is expensive and in order to be able to spend that time doing something that you've chosen to do you have to have money and that's the reality of it because the staying alive costs money so when i did my first art career round it was like practice round that's what i look at it as now i think i always did look at it like that in a way um i was making a system a, a feedback loop in my life where i got i i made sure that this thing that i was doing that i loved to do was making enough money to justify its own existence so it was going round and round in a circle and that is the key to um i mean it's too simplistic to say you getting good at something because when it comes to something like art you know it's a, it's it's a little bit more subjective and it's not so clear what is good and what is not good but i would say that with anything the more time you spend the better you get at it and um in order for you to be able to spend that time you need to be able to make it viable that you can do it every day if you to do it every day well some people they've got 10 billion pounds from their mum and dad that's fine but that's one of the problems like that i think with society is that uh the creative fields um they are so important and so influential to culture and to the way people see the world and they become the domain purely of the privileged because no one else can afford to do it and that is a huge shame because then all you have is the perspective of people that is it that interesting to have, you know the perspective of someone who has never had to worry about anything like money wise i mean it's interesting because all people because all people are interesting because of their characters but is it not would it not be really interesting to see what someone comes up with who um has really really seen some shit and been through some shit that's like why you know you have things like the blues you know you got people out there that are like playing one string guitars because they couldn't afford to get a six string guitar and they've made the best music ever because they've they've become uh you know highly highly creative with what they've got and they've become way more innovative um than anyone who doesn't need to be would ever become and that's 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 the biggest challenge
you raise a very interesting point. Um, and I really agree with you on that stance. And I think actually it's a really interesting stance of this idea of who is the, who are the people creating the work and where have they came from and what have they seen to be creating the work and how does that then feed into the future of art and to what people deem to be good art and what people deem to be sellable art, um, which I say really consideration um, in terms of on a larger scale, as opposed to, oh, this person's creating great work. You know, I think that's actually a really good consideration. Not something I've thought about, actually. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate saying that. So what do you think needs to change then? Or what could be changed that can help the situation turn around somewhat? I, I just think everyone needs to um, work on themselves and not work, not, not worry about the rest of it. Like, so but for, for me, um, I... I got myself to a place where I don't give a fuck at all, <laughs> and now it's yeah, now it's, which is good. Now it's game over because no one can tell me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. It will make it. It will mean absolutely nothing to me if tomorrow somebody told me, like let's say tomorrow, the greatest artist in the world told me that I was their favorite artist. It wouldn't mean wouldn't mean anything to me at all, and. Um, if that same person tomorrow told me that I was absolutely shit, it wouldn't mean anything to me either. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, and if somebody bought my artwork off of me tomorrow for like a million pounds for a painting, it would mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's no different to if I won a million pounds in the lottery. Like all it means is that I've got a million pounds and it's great news. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm now going to use that so that I can go and make more art. That's it. The fact that it came from this place or that place doesn't matter, you know, except for if it was from someone buying a piece of art from me, that is better than winning it because you know that that means that you're probably going to be able to sell more. <laughs> the, oh, and, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, yeah. At the end of the day, it should all just be about, you know, doing something for you. Um, and making sure that you're like looking after your own mental health and looking after your own sort of interpersonal relationships in your life and trying to live the life that you want to live and money is a way of facilitating that and that's it you know that's it that's that's all it is um, and as far as society at large i just don't know you know i have no idea they're probably doing the you know are there things that they can do i mean i'm not an expert on it I, I, I would say that um, I, I don't know. I would I would certainly say that trying to make sure that opportunities are distributed as equally as possible to all people is yeah. a, that surely has to be a good thing to have as a goal. That's it. That's all I can really say. Is that's like that's me talking about principle, rather than you know how do you put that into practice? I don't know, but that would be that would be the idea, right? So if you if you were to if you were to find a way to make that the setup, then you would end up with more sex pistols, right, and less of like middle of the road easy to get along with music that we've already heard 
there's a kind of some kind of strand going through culture of like people being in love with excess and people being in love with oh, yeah. like aspira you know you have like aspirational tv so it's so basic and it's like you know people make in they make their entire career from like being on tv having a reality show and being like everyone sort of have a window into my life while they while their life is great you know like they've got a yacht and they've got a mansion and they've got you know three ferraris and, and then you know music videos as well and everything it's all like yeah uh, it's just so um like just it's you know without being too too reductive about it i feel like when i when i look at art or when i listen to music or look watch a movie or whatever it may be that's someone's someone's creation that they're communicating something to me uh i do feel like you can really distill it down to you know do you or do you not have an uh, like feel like drawn to or engaged by or interested in or whatever positive feeling it may be towards that thing or do you have like a negative reaction does it turn you off do you dislike it and i do think that it kind of does boil down to that kind of your your responses are happening inside you and you have to listen to them it's like the heart and then the brain has to pay attention to the heart so so for me those sorts of things turn me off and then i don't have a i don't i don't want to be turned off by them i don't have anything against the people that choose to do these things they're not killing someone they're not doing a horrible act but i have to take the time to sort of go walk away and go why did that turn me off so much like why am i so repulsed by that so like when i look at a lot of things like that they're about excess and you know people with their mansions and all of that stuff i don't know why but it just turns me off you know it's just a big turn off for me and then i have to sort of walk away and think about why you know that's it um and yet so yeah somebody just picking up a guitar or for example and just playing and singing that's like you know that's the opposite that's like oh that's that i'll give that a go you know i see that image and then i'm my ears are open they might be awful and i might hear the first three chords and go no and just not like it but the 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 immediate image is like okay that's something for me to listen to you know and like so that could be like somebody just doing a drawing on a piece of paper has not lost its potency for me like somebody can just get a piece of paper and just draw on it and it's just the most you know minimal amount of materials needed that's the beauty of doing art it's accessible to anyone because anyone can pick up a piece of paper and grab a pencil and draw something on it um and it you know do you need 16 million pounds of staffing fees to do that no you need a you know if you can't afford a piece of piece of paper and a pencil you can you know fuck it go into 
WH Smith and still won. I don't care, right? <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it's pretty accessible. And I don't like the idea of making things elitist or exclusive to a few people or flaunting or boasting too much about having something that you know will invoke jealousy in people or envy. You know, that's, that's, it's, just, it's just a bit of a turn off for me, that's all. I think um, we're very alike because I feel exactly the same. Yeah, and I feel this whole kind of flex, the whole kind of flex culture we have currently mm, is um, so unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Mm. It's very, like, to me, personally, it's very trivial. Like, yeah, okay, you've got a yacht on a mansion. Like, that's great. You know, if you worked hard for it, that's great. And I'm happy for mm. you, but I don't care. Like, just like, straight up, I just don't care. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. I'm busy getting on with my life and doing things I need to do. Why would you, why you, know, would you care? Think, why would you give a fuck? Like why would why would you if you think about it why would you no it's true but the, i think the shame of it is though is that people buy into it you know yeah and that's do. the shame of it they do like that's the shame of it but this is you know and it's yeah yeah, yeah. yeah carry on no but i say you know people should buy into it and i think it's you know it's just a shame because it's you know i worry you know i said like i'm old but like i worry about you know the younger generation because they're born into it they're born thinking this is normal and it's not. It's not the way you, people should necessarily be. Um, that's true. But, you know, that's not my responsibility, I guess. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's true too. But I would say that, um, I mean, I'm not saying this to say don't worry because, you know, I do think there are things to worry yeah. about. But I would say that one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I really like, there are certain, there are certain things that I really, really love. So I really love history. And I really enjoy certain, like if you read like ancient mythology and things like that, or you or you read certain things from, from ancient history or just generally history in general, you see that the human uh, the human condition has always been the same. You know, if in ancient Greek mythology, for example, I mean that's one of the reasons why I like the idea of positioning myself with my artwork that I could reach into ancient symbolism and things like that as and when I felt like I wanted to because it's a sort it's a it's a very 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 fundamental and rich area for symbolism in art and when you look into like ancient Greek mythology for example you see all of those things that we see today you see the same kind of vanity and envy and greed and lust and love and humor and happiness and sad sadness and grief and all of you know the whole range of emotion there's nothing there that is you know the only so so, so the, the whole human condition is the same now as it ever has been so in that in that sense that gives me that makes me worry less because I feel like the flex culture was, you know, King Henry VIII, you know, and then, yeah. you know, it's, it's just something which is not great, but is, is part of, but, you know, it can be kind of fun, you know, if, if done in the right way, it can be kind of fun, it can be kind of cool. You know, there are things that I do like where people are kind of flexing on what they've got, but it's, it's only if they're really creative with it or something about it, it's a bit different. And I just like to see people being, I, I guess I like to see 
bit of creativity. But the, 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 the thing which does worry me is the ways in which it's different now to any other point in history. That's where it's worrying because you don't know where that path is leading us because we haven't seen it already. So when it comes to social media, the internet and stuff like that, well, that didn't exist at any point in history up until very recently. So, you know, for me, I don't even need to go back that far to a time where probably for most of my life, there were no smartphones, you know? Yeah. And now it's fucking toxic. It's a fucking toxic poison that's taken over. Yeah. It's taken over. And it's, it's super interesting and amazing. And it's totally incredible, incredible innovation. And it's brilliant. And all of those things. I mean, in terms of like humans, interaction and under, and and you know human psychology that's that's kind of like a real kind of core motivation for me to do art in the first place it's just it's all about psychology it's like you're making something and then you're putting it in front of someone and then it's just like let's see what they do when, when they see it you know it's like interesting to see how you can garner a response from someone like what what like this equals that and if i do this differently then they, their response changes from that to this yeah so so in that respect it's a like a fucking genius thing because clearly they've nailed uh grabbing people's attention because everyone's looking in their phone all the fucking time every day across and it's across the board you know humans are the same everywhere they're all of the ways in which we're different they're all very superfluous or they're very kind of like surface level the human condition is the same and that one of the ways in which that is proven is the way that there's no there's no single part of the world where people didn't grab smartphones and then live in them 24 7 everyone did you know it's it's not like people in the uk got obsessed and loved it but then people in germany just never did but like everyone's obsessed with filming everything photographing everything and then putting it across the social media and it's i don't know it's just looking a lot like that is not good i don't know i don't know where that leads i don't know where we find ourselves in like 50 years maybe it's going to be good but it's, it's unprecedented so you know it could be very very bad I don't know. yeah i think yeah i think the the definition of things have changed um but we haven't changed the, the actual terms i think that's where it gets confusing because you know the word friend is now a verb um whereas it wasn't before and it's like and it shouldn't be yeah because it's not a verb it's not a, it's not an action you don't friend somebody that's not the way life works but it now is I think there's a big disconnect between pre-smartphones and post-smartphones. And I think, like, personally, I'm in the age range where, you know, when I was younger, they didn't have it. When I'm older, obviously, now we have it. And to be honest, I think it's not, obviously, it's not all bad because there are always positives. Mm. But I definitely think that it has taken away some, no, it has reshaped the way we consider living. 
like the idea of, of what it means to live it is definitely reshaped it has yeah it's it's fun it's fundamental isn't it i mean i do think that it's yeah, i know absolutely. it's a tangent but i do think it's all connected because you know oh, well, i mean look, look that's that's the, the reality of the situation is that the vast vast majority of people that have seen my artwork for example um are people that have never actually seen it in person um yeah you know if there's a if there's a million people that looked at a piece of work that i've done online there's no way a million people saw my drawing in person there's no way that's happened you know i would have known about it absolutely and so you know that's an interesting thing and like you know and it is it's not to be sniffed at like that's one of the things that it is very fashionable to sort of denigrate these things which is what i've been doing i suppose by saying i'm a bit worried you know that it does feel like there are some kind of worrying aspects to it but then it, it has to be said that it's an absolutely incredible it's absolutely amazing that i made like i because it's in my nature to I grew up doing drawings and showing them to people. That's what I really loved doing. I just loved doing a drawing and showing to people. Probably started from my mum. So I'm going to do a drawing and then me doing it and coming showing it to her. And she goes, oh, that's really, really good. Go and do another one. And then next yeah. thing you know, I'm going out in the world doing drawings and showing them to people, you know. And then suddenly I'm able to do that to the whole world um, with no time delay as well i can just do i could do right now do, yeah. do a drawing of whatever i want and then just put it out there into the world you know and there's a lot of there are a lot of people with a lot of good energy that will respond and say oh you know i really appreciate this i really like it and then you can immediately feel good that you sort of done something that's meant something to someone somewhere <laughs> so that's all facilitated by this incredible technology um and that's the good side of it so there you go i've, I've been absolutely. i've been even-handed so, absolutely no I, it's important to be that's the thing like mm -hmm. i feel like in a lot of interviews that i i have with people i always you know rant on about how i don't like social media or at least i'm not the biggest fan of social mm -hmm. media but I always have to say, like, I'm very grateful for it because mm -hmm. I wouldn't be doing this right now if I if I didn't have social media. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, like you have to be even about it. There are always positives and negatives to everything. Yeah. So yeah, true. You know. So let's get, actually get into your work then. Let's talk about the themes in your work okay. because I think your work fascinates me a lot for a lot of different reasons. And I think part of it is because of the alias. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. But the second part of it is also because your work is very stylistic. It is very, I know it's yours if I see it, mm -hmm. even though I haven't seen it for that long, mm -hmm. I know it's yours. It has a certain sense of style, mm -hmm. um, particularly the idea of schools and the idea of recurring symbolism of motifs. Um, so can you talk a bit about, you know, so how did you decide upon the kind of motifs such as schools? Um, and obviously at the moment, snakes and things, like how mm -hmm. do you decide what kind of symbolism you want to include in your work and why is symbolism important i i i know what you mean uh, uh, i definitely agree with your assessment of, of, of my work it's 
like a certain a certain style and I think that I have been constantly my entire life that I've spent drawing and painting or whatever I've spent that entire time developing my own style and that is my um that's my way of just being me in a way just being myself and being unique because everyone's unique um but not everyone is able to necessarily do justice to their own uniqueness in the way they express themselves because they fall into probably because they fall into the trap of trying to imitate what someone else has done um or trying to seek approval from other people um so i think that those are probably like some of the starting places of my work is like mindset of of honestly not giving a fuck at all about what people think and doing what i want to do is that's my starting place um and being really interested in sort of satisfying my own scratching my own itch and then having faith in the idea that if it does it for me it's going to do it for someone else out there and taking it for granted that that is not going to be everyone and so those are kind of good kind of foundational ways to sort of set yourself up to go out in the world and do something like this because if you if you make if, if you don't have those ideas in your head and then you go and make work there are loads and loads of ways in which it can be it can, it can go wrong for you you know in terms of um you do something that doesn't really do it for you but you think it's what people want to see and then when they don't like it then you feel totally fucked off because you're like well it didn't do it for me i just thought it was what you, you guys wanted and then it doesn't do anything for anyone and then you just go well that really was a waste of time so you already have kind of given yourself it's almost like a form of insurance it's like some kind of like emotional insurance policy where you go if no one likes this at least i do right so then you're totally cool already you've got nothing to lose because you do what you want to do so that's that's the starting place and then from there there's um the use of symbolism for me it comes from a few different places so i'm kind of into like there are lots of different things that i've read and watched and listened to that are that sort of tend to kind of circle around this there are certain ideas that i i think probably more than anywhere they come from carl jung the like super yeah. genius psychoanalyst guy i don't even know if i was on the career title like uh, correct whatever he was his ideas are pretty good in terms of things that are like help me to decide on how to handle my own impulses my own urges so when it comes to there are a few different things that i've i've read and heard that come from Carl Jung to do with um first of all like there's the idea of the shadow so the shadow is this thing that 
everyone has in their psyche the, through through your upbringing the ideas of of you know how you should behave and what you should think and what you should do and what you should say and what's what's civil and what's polite and what's what's morally correct but you you will almost certainly have things that appear in your subconscious as urges almost like evil urges that you might find worrying or concerning because you don't want to do them they're bad things you think i shouldn't do um and and that is something which people don't know how to deal with like they're not necessarily trained to deal with the fact that they have got these kind of animal instincts and urges that um, you know, to varying degrees, some people are probably like dangerous people that probably should, should be looked away. But but there are lots of different degrees to which there's this kind of shadow in the people's psyche that is kind of wanting to come out, like urges that people have. That's where people sometimes just say mean things or do mean things or they do dark things or people become obsessed with death. And there are lots of people out there in the world that do a lot of bad shit, and everyone tunes in to watch you know everyone watches documentaries about murderers it's the biggest Absolutely, the biggest yeah. thing on the news and there's some serial killer that did something whatever and the shadow is just a really really interesting thing to try to 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 understand and to in a in a healthy way try to um to to, to understand what like de depending on what's what your restrictions are what type of person you are your you know shadow is going to probably be slightly different in terms of what the the negative urges that you might have but it's there it's there and is isn't necessarily the right thing to do is to, to ignore that part of who you are you know it, it's more of an interesting thing for me to like draw symbols that kind of represent sometimes i like to draw draw symbols that kind of represent like the dark the darker side of uh, you know that's often they're dark symbols it's either dangerous or they like represent death or whatever because uh it's something that i'm like almost challenging myself to sort of look at the darkness and and sort of think about it at least you know it's something that i think would is important to sort of look at and think about um and there's also the you know so i do believe that if you have like a calling something is calling you that it's very very important to listen to it and to to, to to do it right so so i don't necessarily know why i draw the things that i draw so i remember there was a, a time when i was drawing so many skulls all the time and i didn't really know why i was drawing so many skulls all the time but i knew that i wanted to keep doing it um and that was that so that was my philosophy was that you should just do it because you feel it and you want to do it but at the same time i also felt this strong urge to draw flowers all the time which i still do have um and i and, and so i don't pressurize myself at all i just let these things sort of float around in my brain and then when it sort of lands it lands like if i if i feel the need to draw something then i'll draw it and so as it turns out what you see is what i felt the need to do that being said there are some things that i can track the journey of why i ended up with it and there are some things that i can't 
So some things I find really, really difficult to pinpoint. I definitely became obsessed with, in the past, I became obs uh, obsessed with the idea of like repetition and almost like disordered kind of kind of art. And this something you don't really see so much now. Now in my work, but when I was younger, I used to do all the time was sort of do. I, I used to be, love getting a huge big piece of paper like maybe I don't know like 60 by 60 centimeters or something like pretty big and then just drawing the same thing over and over and over and over again and I was interested in the idea that the person that sees it knows that that was drawn by a person and then thinks that you're fucking mad for doing it like I like the idea that you can invoke like concern by just you know <laughs> almost or like, like people will be like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, just because you've just fucking just drawn the same thing so many times. That in itself is interesting because it just shows the power of like drawing that you can draw uh, as opposed to drawing something which is run of the mill, like just thinking about it in a totally different way. Thinking about it rather than thinking from the perspective of I'm going to draw this thing. Like, okay, let's, that there's a, there's a person standing next to a tree. I'm going to draw a person. I'm going to draw a tree. You could draw something that is actually hard to explain what it is you're even drawing. And you just know that it's going to make people sort of question your sanity when they look at it, you know? So there are loads of sort of things like that that interest me, but I'm, I'm also able to pinpoint certain symbols and where they came from because i like to read and uh watch and listen to um there are certain things i'm interested in so so for example i did the recent drawing painting thing that i did with a snake and loads of apples around it and i know exactly i know exactly why i did it and for me for me that's like my favorite piece that i've done in the sacred monolith kind of era, era. yeah or whatever this is uh um yeah that's my favorite one because it made the most sense to me i suppose because i knew exactly what i was doing like i i watched some long really really in-depth really interesting um uh, lecture about the symbolism of the Garden of Eden um, and the reason why those symbols are the ones that are there in terms of like, you know, why it's snake, why those are apples, what does it mean, what's it all about? And like the deeper, the deeper meanings behind it and the reason why that story has kind of remained over so many years. And it just, it just occurred to me that this is incredibly powerful symbolism and that it would almost be stupid of me not to embrace that power um, at, at, and just kind of, you know, it's like surfing on a wave. It's like I, I didn't make that powerful symbolism. I just am in the privileged position where I'm able to use it. So then I'm able to use it in whatever I, way, way that I want. And then I knew that what I wanted to do was for the apple to make it so the apples look really, really attractive and really like luscious and fruity and zesty and whatever, and vibrant. And I wanted the snake 
to be right up in your face, all across it and all in the middle of it all, so that you knew that you had to get, get tangled with that snake to get that apple. Um, and that was just like my, it was, it's an unsubtle way. It's like a shotgun approach of dealing with that subject matter. Cause I could have done, you know, some like super like renaissance like really elegant scene where it's a tree and there's a person, you know, the naked bodies and they're reaching up for the apple. But instead I wanted it to be like you, the viewer, are the person who's presented with the temptation and you're also equally presented with the serpent, like you are in it when you look at it. And, and, and that's like why that's my favorite piece in terms of like, I'm able to track my own journey of like where I got the idea, why I did, why I did it the way I did it, and how I arrived at it and executed it well enough that I was happy with it. And that's by no means my most popular one because it's just like it can be quite basic. People just love a skull, you know what I mean? Um, but the skulls are endlessly interesting to me. And I, I think, again, there's an element of um, natural forms are the most interesting things, first of all. Uh, that's a totally subjective thing, but that's my my view. Like I find natural forms interesting because they have unusual shapes that have kind of evolved to be what they are. They are there for they somehow ended up being what they are. It's, it's not a conscious choice that something chooses chooses to grow in a certain way it ends up being that way through you know the limitations of through evolution and through sur the surroundings and through whatever it is that makes a thing grow in the way that it grows and it becomes interesting and it's not perfect in inverted commas it's you know asymmetrical and unusual and so a skull already in terms of like aesthetics is already ticking all the boxes for me like you could take any bit of bone uh, and it would tick all the boxes for me. I could study it and draw it. I'd be happy to do it. You know, it could be like a little toe bone, you know, and I would probably be quite happy to draw it. It'd be interesting. But also, it's a representation of the human form. And when I used to do portraits, which I really enjoyed, and I do love doing portraits, um, I, I noticed early on when people would commission portraits from me they would want to have things edited for the sake of their vanity so they would want to like have their receding hairline fixed or they'd want to look a little bit less overweight or they'd want their teeth to be straighter or something and i didn't want to do that because i didn't believe in that that wasn't what i was there for when i was doing art i was more interested in the you know quirks of people's unique qualities of how they looked. I'm less interested in airbrushed magazine images than I am in you know someone's ugly photo that they've got. Like I'm much more interested in someone's ugly photo than they've got. And and so I knew that it would be negative 
for my development as an artist if I were kept on if I built a situation where I was being commissioned to do portraits for people and then having to because I was because I needed to sell work to get money to allow myself to do more work if I needed to in order to do that I needed to to do those things for people I would never be able to do like you know for like what Picasso did and just be like I want to draw this person's head as a triangle and a circle you know what I mean which is maybe that's what I want to do I want to be able to do what the fuck I want that's why I'm here so I can't do portraits for people unless I um am absolutely not in any way interested in selling them and it's just for me in which case I do whatever I want so I knocked portraits on the head, but I still wanted to draw people. So that kind of got me into drawing skeletons and skulls as well. Um, and I am really interested in ancient symbols. And I just don't think anything has got quite more of an impact as an ancient symbol. You know, a human, like a skull. You could show a skull if you had a time machine and you went back to, you know, to the to the the first humans, you know, to walk the earth, and you presented them with a skull. They will know they will, they will know what it is. It's it's not like a lot of the symbols that we see. In, you know, if you if you if you drive drive a car you need to be able to recognize a whole load of symbols that we might take for granted like you you know the little uh symbols that you that you're used to seeing that you know mean that the road's going to have a bend in it or that people are going to be crossing the road or whatever but those symbols might not necessarily be um if you go far back far enough in time there will probably come a point where those symbols don't mean anything to anyone there are some things that have always meant something and always will to other people. And so I feel like skulls and skeletons are kind of timeless in that sense. And I'm much more interested in making work that is timeless than something which is like effective in the here and now and then kind of fades away. So yeah, when I used to do because as I've been I've been doing it for a long time when I used to do drawings when I was younger I look back at them and the one I know which were the ones that I still love now with all the years that have gone on and I know which are the ones that I don't really like so yeah it tends to be things that have like very very powerful ancient symbols in them so yeah there you go there's a few reasons why I draw those things I think it's really interesting, though, and I, I'm quite curious as opposed to if you ever consider that um, because your images may potentially to some people seem, you know, somewhat darker, that, you know, the reception it might get might be a bit different to somebody who created pictures that were, quote unquote, happier. Do you ever consider that when you're creating the work? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I just don't, I don't really care. Like, I know that, I know that, um, I have to say this actually when I came back to um, doing artwork as like a kind of 
second, you know, second run through this thing. I knew that I wanted this to be more, I don't know if this is the right, this is the right word for it, but more masculine than my previous round of, like my first go at having an art career. It, it, it went, it was, I, I still have always done drawings and images of skulls, but it was a lot more of a feminine kind of aesthetic to my drawings and I, I had a personal belief when I used to do my work that I should try to work in that domain of doing work that's a little bit you if, if you saw it you probably you might be like I don't know what you're talking about it's not coming in but that's how I feel about it um it <laughs> yeah. used to be I used to use a lot more pink and a lot, a lot more sort of pastel colors and there's probably more floral and there was a lot more pattern work um and i used to i i genuinely believed uh, and i you know and i think that it's, it's it makes sense but that was my view at the time that i should place myself out of my comfort zone because what will happen is that my my true nature of like what i'm actually like will come through and so it'll be kind of counterbalanced by the sort of by me purposefully leaning into trying to make it a bit more feminine because I think that my work will be kind of masculine anyway by virtue of me just sort of being like that. So I used to always work like that um, and it worked really well for me because it was kind of a good balance and it, so it was, it was kind of delicate and beautiful and moved in and, and, and probably had a lot more of a female kind of uh, audience than my work will do now, maybe. I don't know, honestly don't know. Um, uh, I'm only saying that actually based on the analytics because I've seen the analytics, but it might just yeah. be social media in general. Because at the moment it's looking more, looking to be more more men than women follow, following my work. But I really don't do that on purpose. Um, uh, and, you know, I'd probably be happy like anyone else would if it was just a straight 50-50. But it was definitely the other way around with my, my work in the past. It was definitely more women than men. So I feel like uh, that might be because I had wanted to do, I I'd wanted to actually do something different. I didn't want to just do what I'd done before. And so I had, and that's why it was really hard for me to do something again, because I had really invested myself in my previous work and all of those things that I believed, I still believe that it's good for me to sort of try to do more sort of feminine work while taking, in, taking it for granted that I'm going to bring a sort of masculine energy to it anyway. And it, and it worked really, really well for me, but that's, that's absolutely not what I'm doing now because I've gone, okay that was that was my old work and this is me returning to this business and i don't want to do what i've done before so what am i going to do well let me just own my sort of masculinity and let me just make it like brutal and i don't give a give a shit i'm just gonna go do it and let it be dark let it be brutal if that's the way if that's if that's what i feel the need to do like I might, I will stop 
going down that road if I feel turned off by it. So I feel more and more like I want to do more aggressive work. Um, so I'm feeling like at the moment, like it's going to get more, more aggressive and maybe even darker. Um, and then when I reach a point where I look at it and I go, oh, that's through my head in actually, <laughs> then I'll probably like try to give myself, but what, what I ultimately want is I want to have a, a lot, a, a huge range. And so I've got, you know, um, beautiful like flower, flower drawings and things like that in my, in my portfolio of work. And I can always go back to that to give myself a respite from it. But I'm, in, I'm kind of into clashes in nature. I'm into like these kind of sh shows of, of power in nature at the moment. And I kind of like the idea of doing some kind of quite aggressive pieces that show animals in collision, you know, with their various different natural weaponry that they've got. Well, that's really fascinating. That's really fascinating. And that's a, uh... Because one thing I like to ask people a lot is at what point does an artist and their audience merge and how does having an audience looking at a work change the work you create? Um, and I think that's really interesting because it seems to me then rather than be controlled by the audience that sees it or the analytics of your work, oh. like you're kind of, I don't, know, I don't know, there's something really clever about that, that you already kind of are aware kind of the point at which you're coming from to create the work before the analytics and, you know, your audience, for, for instance, is involved. I think that's really clever. But I also think it's really clever, the idea that you've thought about it in terms of, you know, whether that needs, necessarily needs to be thought about it in terms of, but the idea of masculine and feminine, and particularly like mm. the balance of the two. Uh, that's actually a really interesting concept. It's not something I've ever thought about in terms of, not just my own work, but just work in general. And actually how, you know, the gender of the artist may play quite an important role in the work they create um, or don't create, for instance. Yeah. That's quite a, an interesting consideration. No, that's true. It's not something I've ever thought I about. I mean, anything that, you, anything that you do, they're all just different... What's the word? Is it axis? Or what's the... I don't know. What's the plural? Is it axiom? I don't know. It's, it's just a different... It's just a different axis for, for which you can... You, you can sort of measure work it's like yeah. you know it doesn't need to be a conscious thing it will always fall somewhere within the spectrum between masculine and feminine whatever you do um, but it's just one of the things that i thought about when i look back at my old work is i sort of noticed how how far i went into sort of like more feminine aesthetics um which i i you know with all of the work that i did i i thought some of it worked worked well some of it didn't um but i enjoyed um i enjoyed being able to sort of look back and and think in that way because that's what that's one of the things that sort of keep you looking back at your work is kind of having new ways of measuring it so it's just another axis you know you know i could go okay i'm going to look back at all of my old work purely from the perspective of technical skill and i could judge everything on the on the grounds of like what's better or worse based on what's more or less technically skilled 
but then I could not think about it like that at all when I could look back at my work and judge it on you know what do I feel has the most powerful symbolism you know um, and it might be the less technically skilled work that is more powerful um, but then you can also go back and say you know let me have a look and go you know where does this fall on the sort of masculine feminine scale and I definitely think that that my old work I shouldn't go on about it too much because I'm not sharing anything but it was it, it is true that I was purposefully leaning into doing that like going I'm quite sort of like blokey in a way and like I'm masculine and like it's good for me to reach over and do something which is not what I would be expected to do because I'm going to bring that energy anyway. There's going to be a balance that's going to be struck by me doing something which is a little bit different to what I, I am. So I would use a lot more, um, you know, yeah, as I say, I'd be, I'd be using a lot more sort of like yeah. pink and pastel colors and I'd be using a lot more floral kind of imagery and prettifying things. And then I was, it, and it did, it genuinely did what did work for me, for me to do that. It's just, it's just the age old idea of like putting yourself out of your comfort zone to grow. Um, but that in a way, that's exactly why I'm not doing that now because I did, I did that for, for years. So that's something that I know about. And this is, uh, this is something else. So I'm lean, more like leaning into sort of, like there are a few things which are which are which are which are which are new areas for me to explore now so doing like things which are a bit kind of paranormal and a bit kind of sci-fi um yeah and that's something that i never really did in the past and i really get a kick out of that and i also like leaning into you know doing you know dark imagery with you know dangerous animals and things like that and trying to trying to fuck with people a little bit you know like doing like a four-eyed tiger with like chromatic aberrations so it's like really 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 horrible to because you're hard absolutely hard to even look at absolutely yeah um so i don't know yeah that's that's just what's interesting to me right now I think that's that's super fascinating. And I think, I don't know you don't talk about too much more, because I think, you know, you probably spoke about it enough, but I think it's also interesting that because you've really had, you know, as you said, like the first run, I oh. think that kind of only strengthens the work you do now because you almost have a set of rules for yourself of what not to do, or at least both, you know, like, you know, it works, you know, what's called, you know, you know, you've been through it so that, you know, like the ups and downs of it. So now, because you just don't care and, you know, mm. you enjoy what you're doing now. And it's like, it's about the enjoyment. It's about, you know, what you find interesting, you know, what you want to do for yourself. And I think it only strengthens your work now because you have, um, yeah, like a, a reflection, not reflection. Oh, yeah. You have like a, yeah, you have a constraint of, of what not, not a constraint, but you have like your own set of rules of what not to yeah, do. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, there's definitely... There's, there, there, you know, there are definitely lessons learned, um, and um, you know, 
I'm, def I'm definitely happy to be feeling like I'm in, I'm in the driving seat uh, and I'm in control of what I'm doing at this point. You know, I had felt when I was younger, I'd felt it kind of all sort of taken off a little bit early and I was not really prepared for it. And I was just a little bit like, what is happening right now? Like, I was just, I just didn't think that I was, I don't know, I don't know if I was ready to like, but the thing is you could spend your whole life feeling not ready. You know, so probably yeah, absolutely probably helped me to be sort of just exposed like that. But um, I'm super happy at this point in my life to be able to sort of start start a project and really feel like I'm owning it and I'm I'm in control of it and I know what I'm doing. Um, so I guess I'm just. I think um, that's. Oh, no, sorry, I, was, I was just saying. I guess I'm just gonna. Just let it grow and just see, see, uh, you know, see how it develops, basically. Absolutely. I think that's why I like talking to artists who are older, yeah. um, because the experience you have of life, you know, it, it teaches you so much more. Because, you know, yeah, it's great to have success when you're young, because obviously, well, you know, there's pitfalls and, you know, there's good and bad parts, but it's like success when you're young is good. But the problem is that, you're not ready for it in your life whereas now you have life experience you know and the kind of the way you react to, to things and situations are different mm -hmm. you know so it's you know and i think you know from my own personal experience i guess it, it just kind of seems to me that the things i care about now are not the things i cared about 10 years ago yeah. Um, yeah. it's easy to, like as i get older personally like I, there's a lot of things that i let go of that I really would have been more bothered about when I was younger, like like views, for instance, and stats, and and uh, if people like my work or if people, you know, are you know, all that kind of stuff doesn't really mean much to me. me like I'm much more important about creating things and and having conversations with people and engaging with people. Yeah. And and um, it's really it's yeah, really good like that you older, say that, that. It's really that that's re I, was, I have to say I commend you for having that. Really, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a really good it's a really yeah. good way to to, to approach it. For sure, you know, because I just feel, yeah, because I just feel like, and you know, I'll get we'll go back to your work in a second because I've still got to have a lot of stuff to ask you if you're still okay with that. Okay. Um, but like for me, I just feel like we live in a society which is very, and I feel like I say this in every interview, but we live in a society that's that's very much about the now and they're very much about like you know, oh, today's stats and today's views and and how many how much money did you make today? And it's like, if you if we all stopped and thought about you know our work as an archive, um then I think we would all be a lot less stressed and we would all be a lot more kind of caring about what we do. Because like for me, like they're playing football, like I don't care if people don't see it today. I'm interested in what people are going to think of it in 10 years time when they discover it for the first time and they start going through the archive. Like that's what I care about. I care about making sure that what I'm posting is quality, not for me, but for other people to be inspired. Like I don't care if nobody sees it today. You know, that's not, that's not down to me you know that's just how i felt about things anyway no what do i know no it's, it's, um, no, it's a good it's a good yeah. way it's a good way to look at things i just feel like um there's no lever that you can pull to make people think what you want them to think or to behave the way you want absolutely. them to behave so you if you kind of are kind of putting yourself in a position where you're at the whim of of, of how other people perceive you or how they treat you then you lose control over your own life and 
um, yeah. you know, it's really, really important to be able to, it's, it's, it's not like you can choose to be happy. Like you can't, like happiness comes when it comes, but for you to have that kind of purchase over, you know, like what, what your environment is and how it is conducive towards helping you to be content, happy or whatever. It's, it's like by making something you have control over, you are giving yourself a much, much higher chance of having a good life. Let's put it that way. So if you, if you, um, yeah. you know, a, a, a lot of people are at the whim of, of other people's kind of fickle um, uh, opinions. And, and I just feel bad for them because, I, you know, even if you've got loads of money, you're not gonna, if that's, if that's what you, if, if other people deciding they don't like you, is enough for you to become miserable then no no amount of money is going to make up for it really <laughs> you know um so so yes yeah, it's, it's all about sort of like i don't know trying to kind of strengthen your own outlook that concludes the first part of my conversation with sacred monolith Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com or via social media sites such as Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. The Flying Fruit Bowl audio interviews can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the platform, please consider subscribing or sharing this interview with friends and family. Also, please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitbowl.co.uk for daily art inspiration. And if you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance to be featured or interviewed. Once again, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, folks, please stay safe.